Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 today, with a message entitled, Four Beasts and the Son of Man. So let's turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 to 14, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. you think about the future, I wonder, are you hopeful or are you in despair? Do you actually think your best days are ahead of you or do you long for the good old days? You know, when I say these things, I am aware that to a degree, this kind of a thing is a matter of personality. You know, some people are more prone to being optimists and others to being pessimists. And either condition can be wrong or right, depending on a number of factors. Either side can be equally unrealistic. The optimist who approaches death might be sure that, you know, eternity is just going to be fine, even while that person might have no reason at all to think it's so. And the pessimist might be prone to overlook very real and certain signs of the promises of God. You know, yesterday I introduced Daniel 7 to 12. It's about singing the Lord's song in a strange land. It's about God's people in exile. Jerusalem has been burned with fire. The temple of the Lord now lies in ruins. The population has been removed from the land that was promised to Abraham, and many of them were in despair. But God has proved himself to be not just God of Israel, but he's also God in Babylon, and he's God over the whole world. But now the years have passed, and Daniel is no longer in political office. Belshazzar, a secondary king, is ruling Babylon, and he's a fool. Daniel can affect nothing, but God is in control. And during these later years of his life, Daniel begins to have visions. So let's read the first one. We'll start with Daniel 7, 1 to 3. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, differing from one another. I've already interpreted that passage. The four winds are the destructive power of God's judgment. The sea represents the turbulent Gentile nations. And the beasts represent world empires that arise out of the sea. Now, several things are important to keep in mind. And first of all, all of humanity is sinful. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just true of individuals. That's also true of cultures and entire civilizations. You know, sin not only affects individuals, it does affect societies. It affects the way we use the world. It affects global resources. It affects how we use technology. It affects the way in which we treat one another. Entire governments can be sold to do evil. And in today's world, it's entirely possible to see increasingly global control of all peoples of the earth. And this global control can turn out to be evil. So will this occur in our time? And if we allow ourselves that thought, we can allow a sense of horror to overcome us. And our text will teach us that in spite of God's control of all things, even so, great horror does lie before the human race. So let's keep reading verses 4 to 8 now. And remember, we're talking about those four beasts that are rising out of the sea. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. 
And as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, this vision is not impossible to understand. It it is connected to something that happened earlier in the book of Daniel. You know, back in chapter 2, the then king of Babylon, who was Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream in which he saw a large statue. And much of what Daniel sees in chapter 7 directly corresponds to what Nebuchadnezzar saw in chapter 2. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw a large statue. So putting these two images together, a very clear picture emerges. The first beast is a lion with eagle's wings, and that corresponds to the head of gold in chapter 2. It refers to Babylon. The winged lion was a characteristic symbol of Babylon in ancient days, and its image was found in various places all throughout the city. And now then, in Daniel's dream, the four wings are plucked off the lion, and that refers to Nebuchadnezzar's seven years of madness that's found in chapter 4. The giving of the heart of a man refers to Nebuchadnezzar's restoration. You know, it's amazing terminology. You might remember that Nebuchadnezzar finally acknowledged that Daniel's God was the true God. And that might mean that Nebuchadnezzar had a conversion experience. Notice in the dream, the lion was given the heart of a man. And I'm convinced that the conversion really does give us exactly that. It gives us a human heart. Sin, on the other hand, dehumanizes us. It leaves us with the heart of an animal, of a beast. Acknowledging God makes us truly human. So so there's good news. God is so working in Babylon that her greatest king, even he, acknowledged the one true God. Now then, Daniel sees a second beast arising, and this one's a bear. This one corresponds with the chest and arms of silver in chapter 2, and and it refers to the Medo-Persian Empire, which defeated the Babylonians during the time of Daniel. Now, when Daniel saw the vision, that event had not yet happened, but it would. The bear is raised up on one side, and by this, Daniel was predicting that one half of this beast would be raised higher than the other. And in history, the Persians dominated the Medes and became the more pronounced half of the joint empire. You'll also notice that it had three ribs in his mouth. And history tells us that the Medo-Persian Empire was built on three major conquests. The first happened in 546 BC when they defeated the Lydian kingdom in Asia Minor. By the time Daniel had this vision, that event had already occurred. The second happened in 539 BC when they conquered Babylon only a few years after Daniel had this vision. And the third happened in 525 BC 
when they conquered Egypt. Now, those three victories gave the Medo-Persian Empire power over the entire Middle East. They devoured any nation they liked, and Daniel perfectly foresaw exactly what would happen to that kingdom. Then Daniel sees a third beast, and it's a leopard. You know, that corresponds with the belly and thighs of bronze found in chapter 2. You know, that beast refers to the Greek empire of Alexander the Great. The leopard's one of the fastest land animals in the world, but this one has four wings, so it increases its speed. And history tells us that Alexander conquered great kingdoms with lightning-like speed. And then he suddenly died in 323 BC, and his empire was divided among four heads of state, and that's depicted by the four heads on that beast. So far, the visions correspond perfectly with what we know happened in history. And it's amazing prediction, proving to us again and again that God orders the events of the world as he wills. Nothing is out of his control, and that should give us great courage that whenever kingdoms rise and fall in the future, they're also controlled by God. And then the fourth beast is terrifying and frightening. You know, I like to call this robo-beast. There's no animal like it. It's mechanical, large teeth that destroys and devours. And it obviously suggests the superior strength of the Roman Empire as the greatest and most powerful empire the world has ever known. Babylon, Persia, Greece, they were less stable than Rome. Rome dominated the world in a way that no other empire was able to do. It's the most terrifying empire of all. And this empire has 10 horns. You know, horns often represent kings, and later in verse 24, we're going to learn that there are 10 kings that will rise from this kingdom, and we're going to, you know, discuss that part tomorrow. But now in verse 8, we read that a little horn rises. Perhaps it's not noticed at first, but it uproots three of the previous horns. So the upstart horn, or the upstart ruler, has the eyes of a man, that is, he seems to have a benevolent attitude. But his mouth, our translation says, speaks great things, or another translation says, speaks arrogantly. It corresponds perfectly what the rest of the Bible says about this man. Daniel will later call him the coming ruler. Chapter 11 will say he'll do whatever he wants. Second Thessalonians calls him the man of lawlessness. John called him the beast and the antichrist. How is he related to the Roman Empire? That's going to be a fascinating study. We're so grateful for those who tune into our radio program every day, read our online resources, and support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. This week, we received an encouraging note from a couple. Robbie and Karen wrote to say, we found ourselves in the same situation as many folk unable to fellowship with other believers in Christ since the COVID virus has started. We were so grateful to tune into Back to the Bible Canada, to be fed God's Word and have the passages so clearly explained. Both of us have learned so much since the COVID lockdown began. Well, we're so thankful to hear words of encouragement like this from people all over Canada. And we're grateful for those who give financially so that the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada can continue to impact lives. Don't forget, this month, every dollar you give will be doubled up to $50,000. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.
Daniel saw that after the Babylonian Empire would come first the Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, finally the Roman Empire. Notice how Daniel describes what in his day was yet to come. He says that the last empire will be terrifying, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. And we know now that the Roman Empire was exceedingly strong, and when it arrived, the world had never seen anything like it before. It far surpassed all other empires in terms of its power, its longevity. I mean, it lasted over 500 years. It's an incredible length for an empire. However, we do know that the Byzantine Empire, which arose out of the Roman Empire, went on until the 1400s. Rome was the most influential empire in human history. And furthermore, the influence of the Roman Empire, as many argue, carries on to this day. For Rome shaped the Western world, and we might say it shaped the entire world. It's truly an empire unlike any other empire. So Daniel's not exaggerating when he said the beast had iron teeth, that it it devoured and broke others into pieces. He said it would be different from all other beasts. The strength and the brutality that, that brought the Roman Empire into prominence and dominance was unparalleled in human history. And that, by the way, was the world into which our Savior Jesus was born and the world in which his church was first founded. It's the greatest empire in human history. But what are the ten horns that Daniel speaks of? So let's cheat a bit and let's examine uh, verse 24. So we're going to go ahead all the way to verse 24 where we read, As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, that is, out of the Roman Empire, ten kings shall arise. And we take that to mean that ten kings or perhaps ten kingdoms, ten nations, ten empires will arise out of the Roman Empire. And then a small horn, or what might have been thought of as an insignificant king or nation, is going to arise, and he's going to uproot the three nations or empires that have gone before. It's difficult to know how to interpret that. You know, some have argued that the first horn that rises out of Rome was the first Roman emperor after the Republic ended. And that man was Caesar Augustus. He was the emperor who reigned when Jesus was born. And if you count him and the next 10, then the 11th, that is the little horn, would be Caesar Domitian, who was emperor in power when John wrote the book of Revelation. Given that John is writing against a background of ever-growing hostility to the church, some argue that, that this is the little horn, the one who speaks blasphemies against God. Even the Antichrist is Domitian. But I'm going to say that's simply not the case. For one, Domitian didn't uproot three Caesars before him. And, you know, not to overstate the obvious, it's simply not true that, you know, Jesus returned and defeated the Roman emperor Domitian. You know, others argue that the ten stand for a ten-nation confederacy that are going to rule during the end times and that the Antichrist comes out of that confederacy and that his final empire is the revived Roman Empire. Again, I'm not sure about it for a number of reasons. The Roman Empire is now gone. To speak of reviving the Roman Empire is not a necessary interpretation of this book, nor of the book of Revelation. And while still others argue that the influence of Rome has shaped the world, and so the ten powerful kings come out of Roman influence. Well, that might be, but which kings are we talking about? And here's my best answer. I have no idea. Well, then, how do we make sense out of this? Well, go back to the second beast, the bear. He's got three ribs in its mouth. You know, it seems to me you could never have predicted this empire until it actually happened. 
That might also be the case with a final empire that ultimately rules the earth. You won't know what this means until it happens. But that's what Daniel saw. From the fourth terrifying empire we know as Rome arose a small horn that plucked up three horns by its roots and that he ruled the world. Well, again, if you go ahead to Daniel 7.15, you'll understand why Daniel is so anxious and why his visions alarm him. By the end of the chapter, he'll say that his color has changed. We have to assume he's become white as a sheet. And after all, the emperors and rulers to come would be ever increasingly powerful and ever more hostile to the people of God. And if before the time of Noah, the people of God had been so persecuted that only one family remained, you can only imagine Daniel's thoughts. I wonder if you feel the same way. I wonder if you're anxious about the future. I mean, do you see dark, foreboding clouds on the horizon? And if you do, understand that the scripture says, you're right. So where do we find hope? Well, let's keep reading. Daniel 7, 9 to 10. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Now, in this incredible moment of vision, thrones are placed. Well, you might wonder who actually occupies those lesser thrones. But have a look at Revelation 4.4. Speaking of the throne of God, it says, Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So my understanding of Revelation 4.4 is that this is the council of the godly ones. It's the council of God's angels. It's the council of his mighty warriors who do battle in his name. At any rate, the thrones are placed and God enters and Daniel calls him the Ancient of Days. He's always been ancient. For not only does he exist before all things, but even before the world existed, he was ancient then. He's the one who exists by necessity. He is the eternal one, and he has come to take his seat. And then Daniel describes his hair, which demonstrates his boundless wisdom. His throne is like a burning chariot. It demonstrates his power and his willingness to destroy his enemies. And around him are countless hosts of angelic beings always standing ready to do his bidding, a great fighting force that no empire could ever imagine. But it would appear this is a judgment hall because books are being opened that will examine the evidence before his court of law. Let's continue to read verses 11 and 12. I looked then because the sound of great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So lest we think the last beast, who is the Antichrist, should pose a genuine challenge to God's authority, so this passage puts that thought to rest. We know from the book of Revelation that the beast is going to endure for a period of time. But in this first of Daniel's vision, Daniel is shown the destruction of the beast from the beginning so that we don't have to doubt the awesome power of the one who's seated on the throne. Let's go to the climax in verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You know that this passage in Daniel is the most frequently quoted portion of this book in the New Testament, and you know why. Because Jesus repeatedly called himself the Son of Man. It was his title for himself. Also, if you read Matthew 26, 63 to 64, Jesus is on trial, and listen to what he says. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, that's what Daniel saw. He got a vision of the Messiah. We know now that that Messiah, that Son of Man, that Daniel envisioned was Jesus himself. And Daniel saw that one day at the end of the age, this Jesus would approach his father and he would be granted the greatest empire the world has ever seen. He would be given dominion over every global empire of the earth. And furthermore, the Roman Empire might have lasted a very long time, but this empire of the Son of Man will never end. It is the earth's last empire. All other empires will fall before this one. Daniel saw that the final outcome of the human race would be that it would bow before God's Messiah. So let me give you a little hint. Since we're all going to bow before Jesus anyway, why not get a head start and do it now? Because we need not fear the empires of this world, for this one to come is mighty and rules over all. Thanks so much, John. You know, even though we end up with the hope of Christ's kingdom to come, is it understandable that people would still feel despair given the historic and current evil we see in the world? I mean, there's every reason to feel despair. Um, there, there is a lot of evil in the world today. Uh, we also recognize that, you know, as Second Thessalonians tells us, there is an Antichrist coming. So we can't hide from that reality. However, we're going to have to check our attitudes. Are our attitudes based on, are our hope based on external events, or is it in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his coming? That's the question. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Triumph of the Kingdom of God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. some encouragement as you grow in faith? Well, we can help. Our beautiful Back to the Bible Canada 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar is available to you free of charge during the month of October. All you need to do is visit us at backtothebible.ca or request your copy by calling 1-800-663-2425. And wait, there's more. To help us help more people find hope in Jesus and discover the Word of God, a few generous ministry friends across the country have provided us with a $50,000 matching donation for the month of October. That means for every dollar you give this month, it will be doubled dollar for dollar up to $50,000. 
To give a gift, become a monthly partner, or request your free 2021 Scripture Wall Calendar, visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.